Yay! Yeah. Oh my God, you started I beat it. You too at that oh, time. that brings me such joy. Yeah, you know, you didn't even tell me you were gonna do it. Surprise! Oh my God, you guys. I'm going back to my low energy now. <laughs> um, today I'm so excited to share this guest with you all. She is um a scroll in the Captain Marvel movie with Brie Larson. She is a ovarian cancer survivor. She started um, an initiative called baldisbeautiful.org. Um, and she's just an all-around inspiring, amazing person. And I'm so grateful that we got to talk to her. Yeah, I found her story very inspirational. Yeah. And I, and her I'm name the is kind Sharon of, Blinn. I don't think yes, I actually good said to, good the to name. <laughs> I'm, the, I'm definitely the kind of person, uh, which maybe says a lot about me, uh, where like if I feel like you hear it a lot, I'm not going to say it to you because I don't want to be just another person that says that kind of thing. But like after listening to it, I was like, I'm sorry. I know you hear this a lot, but like that was inspiration. Like, yeah, yeah, I, I couldn't help myself. It was yeah. like so like she's she was uh, fantastic. Oh, God. Yeah. I mean, talk about having a. A tr- what we would all imagine would be like such traumatic event and turning it on its head and making it something so life affirming and such an example to others of how you can not only move through cancer with positivity and beauty and also just redefining femininity and what that looks like and that bald can be beautiful and that like our traditional ideas of beauty and feminist like feminine femininity there you go uh femininity are limiting and yeah um, and well uh yeah we didn't talk about this before doing this intro but i think it makes sense like we you know we promote using a bitmoji we do. And I know. We tried to find one. Yeah, that's bald for a female. For, yeah, and and um, I mean, Bitmoji in general is so, uh, with race, it's terrible with skin tone, with different kind of hair texture. Mm-hmm. And um, yeah, so uh, we're probably going to be moving away <laughs> from that. Yeah, but I mean, like, that, but. it was just like indicative of yeah. the, like, oh, you can't find that is saying that that means that it's not feminine but yeah exactly clearly can be can be absolutely because she's gorgeous um yeah and the and and we talk a lot about transformation and i think um it's so applicable to my journey and this podcast in particular because like i don't know just even embarking on this this subject is not as taboo anymore, but the idea of like sharing so vulnerably and um, sort of narrating the things that I'm doing like in and out of the bedroom and my emotional state of mind um, it felt like a pretty big thing to embark on and like a pretty vulnerable thing to do, especially being in the entertainment industry. And some of the feedback I've gotten is like, oh, you know, like, ooh, maybe you know, maybe I won't be able to work with Disney or something like that or, you know, whatever. And, and um, I don't know. I don't know what that consequence is going to be, but I feel so strongly now that this is going to be some kind of catalyst for the next thing because it is more impactful for me to realize and to embody the person that I am authentically and to speak about it so that I can share my story, but hopefully like impact other people and give them permission to live 
impactfully and authentically, which is also the goal of storytelling and why I love storytelling because it is a mirror for society and it is it gives people permission to feel their own feelings and it puts a you know a mirror and a lens up to the things that we don't want to deal with and we don't want to talk about and we do that on screen and we do that on stage and we do that you know in music videos and other kind of mediums so this sort of just goes hand in hand with that. Yeah, I mean, if you're only seeing the bitmojis, like to pull it back to yeah. that, if you're only seeing the bitmojis that have this look and that look and whatever, then you know you're going to feel like yourself, like oh, I don't belong. And I think right. what you're what There's you're no what you're saying is you can find a better path if you are who you are. Yeah, because it, it will resonate with some people. Yeah, yeah. Hopefully. Yeah. <laughs> we'll see. Um, but yes, please enjoy this. Ugh, just a treat, a, a good old treat. I'm feeling yummy head to toe. You see me, ain't got no patience, so let's go. That's okay. You, <laughs> you can sneeze if you need to. <laughs> but you're good to start whenever. Ah, yay! Welcome <laughs> to Finding My Yum. Oh, that was a funny start. Um, we have Sharon Blinn here. I'm so excited that you're here. Thank you for joining I'm us. I'm excited too, of course. Thank she you. She is an activist and actor um she was just in the latest marvel movie well not the latest because i guess one came out whatever captain marvel with brie larson um she plays a scroll a scroll yes oh i did it right uh she's fucking badass um she has her own uh, website and initiative called bald is beautiful.org and um yeah thank you Thank you. Here. Uh, so we're today we're going to talk about um, specifically your experience uh, and relationship sort of evolving with your body of like sort of your journey and then having ovarian cancer and how that changed it and moving out of that and finding your yum after that kind of experience, which um you've turned into this amazing sort of beautiful life affirm affirming gift that you're sharing with other people and sort of inspiring the world. All right. Oh, thank you. <laughs> That's a lovely introduction. <laughs> um, okay. So let's start with like, I think when we, we were initially talking, um, what like, uh, growing up, you have a twin, right? Yes, which I'm is an already, identical twin. Yeah, that's, Models I got to rule. Yes. Um, and so, Growing up, you said that your relationship to femininity was like a little bit just complicated. Complicated. It's complicated yeah. in Facebook speak. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it was because I'm I'm a tomboy. Uh, I hate labels, but that's what I would consider myself, I guess. Sure. Um, we both are. And we grew up playing sports on the street with my brother and you know, rejecting all things girly and dresses and frilly and makeup and that, you know, yeah. so, and not really as a statement. I mean, when you're young, it's just, you just gravitate towards you're what you're, in, what yeah. resonates. Yeah. I mean, I, I mean, actually I loved ballet. It's so funny. My sister dressed in full football gear. We have this great picture that my grandma took of her in the full with the pads and everything, football and it. me in a tutu and she's holding <laughs> me in this pose and it's like the two of us, it's, it's really one of my favorite pictures of us together, That's actually. Um, but it was sort of like the athleticism, I guess, of the ballet, but also um, we played football, so and basketball and sports and soccer and just everything. So, and our brother is two years older, and we had this Blinn kid love bubble. So the three Aww. of us are really super tight. 
And so we just did kind of everything together. And and it was sort of this, um, I don't know how to explain it, but we just didn't gravitate towards anything that was sort of considered typical of what girls are supposed to do. Sure. You know, I think just genetic predisposition to being a feminist. <laughs> the F word. <laughs> the best F word. Yes, it is. Yeah. Um, so yeah, it, and it's just gone through different evolutions of that and yeah. the other F word fashion. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, I feel it's interesting because I think I went through like years where I wouldn't touch a dress. Like I was like, yeah. And then all of a sudden I only would wear dresses. Like I was like a super extremist growing up. And interesting. Like only one thing will do at this moment. And then I would totally reject that and then move forward. And then I think I sort of blended them like as I got older. But yeah, as you um, find yourself, I guess. Yeah, as you, I guess like, <laughs> um, yeah, my little brain was like, there's separation and I got to try out this thing fully before I can like accept it or reject it. Yeah. Um, and I don't know how much of the twins thing plays into it in terms of like our evolution but you know she Elisa is her name E-L-I-S-A mm-hmm. don't call her Alyssa um, <laughs> Elisa is she always did much more experimentation with clothing and haircuts too like oh. I just always I was sort of like this this the uh, stable like I'm just gonna this is me okay and you go and do you your airy fairy cr- flitter yeah, yeah, around yeah. and I'm just gonna be grounded and I'm home base for you <laughs> okay <laughs> and so while you cut one side of your hair and spike it up and yeah. wear your red mini skirt. I'm just going to be here in my all black baggy men's clothes. <laughs> yeah. Um, so we, it's interesting how as we've gotten older, mm-hmm. our our fashion styles were quite divergent for a long time. There would be things where we just look at it and we'd say, look at look at an item of clothing and say, that's Elisa. Oh, that's Sharon. Interesting. We could just identify it. And now it's sort of you coming closer to where she's actually liking stuff that I'm picking to wear for my it's, it's kind oh, of this funny. weird yeah you guys have come back together yeah we're started, starting to yeah yeah <laughs> so then how did that evolve as you grew up that stayed pretty consistent that like um did you ever sort of feel this pull towards that classic type of femininity or what you know people were saying what like is what femininity looked like no. no, like, you know, when I went to college, I left, uh, went to New York Barnard College, and um, that was the first time I was, you know, separated from my sister for oh, an extended period of time. Okay. So that was sort of maybe a certain phase one-ish of who is Sharon by herself, kind of, you know, yeah. on her own. And uh, even then, it's sort of like I, I always tended towards more masculine, what's considered quote-unquote masculine mm-hmm clothing and emulated certain styles that were like you know the the jazz cats you know with their baggy pants and and uh loafers and stuff and or like big suit jacket you know again darker colors too um so I never really went for traditionally feminine but then also I would do it would be this weird thing like I'd wear like a purple crop top and jeans the jeans would be baggy but the like you know because it was you know skinny little thing yeah so sometimes I would wear stuff that that would have have a feminine touch to it Mm -hmm. but always sort of much more kind of earthy maybe okay but not hippy trippy sure sure, sure. like and then just in terms of how you're like like mental state around it was because clothing doesn't necessarily mean anything it's sort of an expression of how we're showing to other people but like inside 
were you did you feel like you were connected to that part of you or you know like being voluptuous and a woman with breasts and you know um curves and hips and and whatever was that like something that you were connected to in other ways um I'm not a curvy gal (laughs) so no in fact it was sort of this maybe even part of an insecurity growing up especially puberty age and then later and I didn't have don't have you know the big boobs and the curves and stuff and uh so that was part of it and I think there's an aspect to just in in general of self self self-worth whatever because I wore like I said you know all black baggy men's clothes I was kind of hiding yeah my long hair Mm. and it was sort of you know, there's, without getting too deep or somber, but, you know, I had grew up around a lot of violence and abuse of different forms. And so there was a part of uh, my femininity that, that I think I wanted to push away because that was vulnerable and not necessarily safe. Okay. So there was an aspect of my clothing in, in terms of it being the masculine, quote unquote, that was like a suit of armor in some ways, mm-hmm. both to keep stuff you know keep myself safe and keep things out that were not safe but also to sort of um insulate and i'm I'm very internal i still am but not as much yeah literally but um introspective kind of quiet i was not my nickname when the fan i'm the quiet one oh, and okay. alisa's tornado like again the twin dynamic is really interesting because yeah. she's just you know when she gets upset it's just this tornado whirlwind thing and i'm just real quiet and then at some point someone's like what do you think and then i'll say like this one thing that's like mm. Profound. But when I do explode, yeah. it's like, it's Huge. big. Yeah. But I hold it for a while <laughs> yeah. and then it's like, roar. Right. You know? Right. So, yeah. So there's a lot of other emotional layers around the dynamic of wh- how I was clothing myself. Okay. That had nothing to do with fashion and just more to do with feeling safe. We don't have to go too far into um, the violence. Was the violence within like your immediate family structure? Yeah. yeah. Okay. But with it. The home so, situation. Okay. So but your like unit of siblings then. The Blaine Kid love bubble. Got is, it. This is what love looks like. This is what safety feels like. This is what joy feels like. That's okay. what we had together. That's amazing. That was our survival. Yeah. For and real. then <laughs> I imagine that's persisted. You're still very close with your... Oh, yeah. Yeah. And my sister and I got even closer, which is hard to believe because we grew up being told we were fraternal twins. Really? Two eggs. And we found out later through my cancer what journey a weird that lie. I'm identical. Well, I don't know if it's a lie. It's, it's, it's urban, a- urban legend, whatever. We were told by our mom. The story was they lost her placenta and they... They took either took a guess or they wouldn't tell her the real deal about what was going on. You know, I was a surprise too. She didn't know she was having twins. Oh, so sister came Whoa. out. Yeah. <laughs> oh my god. Well, wow, that's have, like a movie moment. <laughs> it is. They didn't have visual ultrasound. They, I mean, sure. they had just sonogram, and our heartbeats were in sync. And I guess I was right behind her. Oh. And my hand is actually around her ankle the whole time. So I pulled her back in again. Urban legend. Apparently, I pulled her back in twice. That's amazing. And then she came out. I love the idea that a fetus or like a baby coming out can pull another. Like, (laughs) no, we're not ready yet. yet. Yeah. Uh, And then the doctor that supposedly, again, the story was, you know, so what do you want next? And my mom was kind of give me a year or two. And he said, well, too late. You have another girl. Oh, what a terrible. I would have. Oh. (laughs) That doctor was taking a big risk. Yeah, like, it was to be telling so, a joke to a woman who was like <laughs> just had a baby. Yeah, yeah. Well, that's just had two babies. Just had two. She babies. was just about to have. Well, she was. She gonna thought have she was having one yeah. big baby, but it's two. <laughs> 
crazy. And it's like, okay, so, so now in retrospect, all the soccer team, whatever was going on in there, that she must have been like, I guess that makes a lot yeah, more sense now. There were two bodies. The movement that was going on, yeah. There's actually a Nigerian folktale about the, the uh, Taiwo and Kane Day, about twins. And um, the one who's physically uh, younger is spiritually older. So me, so oh. that whole story makes sort of sense because the idea is the younger twin spirit goes out first, makes sure everything is cool, goes back in and pushes the other baby out. Oh. And for a long time, I did have a much more maternal, protective relationship to my sister. And we've done it for each other, but there was a predominance to it. And yeah. It's balanced out more in later years. But that story I found out in my college years through a friend of mine who told us this story. And so, yeah, I was like, okay, Taiwo and Kane Day. I'm Kane Day. She's Taiwo. How fun. Yeah. So then the story about the foot thing and pulling her back in was suddenly like, oh, my God, I, total I totally believe the story yeah. now. It <laughs> <laughs> probably happened. Um, okay. And then, so when did you get ovarian cancer? I was 28 when I was diagnosed with ovarian cancer. Yeah. Okay. That's young? Yes. Very young. Definitely. I mean, there are some younger, but generally speaking, it's a it's a definitely a cancer that more is more associated with older 50s. Yeah. In your 50s. Did women. you have issues with your repro reproductive organs before then? Or was this I did, but I didn't know. And I still am not sure that it's connected yeah. to it. But, I, you know, like my, my menstruation cycle was really unpredictable and irregular. Um, sometimes sex was painful. But I just thought, you know, that's just my body is built in a certain way. Yeah. Um, sort of closer to the time in my mid-20s, I would have things like I'd just be walking down the hall in the office where I worked at, in the, I worked at a record company and I would just be walking down the hall and just so much pain. I had to just kneel on the floor in the hallway and just take a pause and let the pain pass. And I just thought, oh, it's just gas or just, I I, I love right. lemon. I'm eating too much lemon. It's citric acid. Sure, sure, sure. You know, and or I just- like an ovarian cyst or something. But yeah, yeah, and I went to the, I go to my regular doctor's visits and all, everything was always normal. They would do the exams and yeah. nothing was alarming in that sense. Did so, your sister experience similar? No. no. We have an interesting 10-year window of symbiotic- health stuff she 10 years after i had a thyroid thing in high school 10 years later she had a thyroid thing i had the ovarian cancer thing about 10 years later she had a fibroid thing oh so it's a weird that is weird another twin thing yeah, happening parallel. Yeah. yeah okay so you find out when you're 28 yes and then um you did chemo and radiation yeah. Yeah. I, well, I, the first thing was surgery. I was visiting oh. my parents for a week and I had had stomach problems that I was in London with my boyfriend at the time who lived there. We were long distance for five years by then, New York, London. And uh, I was visiting my parents for a week and then I was going to go back to New York and see all these doctors to figure out this stomach problems mm. and got grounded by another stomach incident while I was, I was about to leave Miami to go back home to New York to figure this out. Yeah. And that's when it sort of went in the gynecological direction. And four appointments later, that's when they said, well, you might. There's no diagnosis until after surgery. Oh. There's no screening test for ovarian cancer. There's no There's no early detection. There's nothing of that exists at this point. Okay. Still. So you have surgery first, and then they take, it, take stuff out, and they look at it under the microscope, and that's when they can officially diagnose what's going on. Does ovarian cancer cause, like, what was the, uh, just... For my own knowledge, it caused stomach issues. That's one of the symptoms. That's okay. the challenge, too, is the symptoms are easily misdiagnosed as benign, you know, 
either irritable bowel syndrome is what I was told I had. Oh, okay. Uh, so I did that crazy diet for like a week. And then seven days later, I had another stomach incident. Mm. Uh, and that's when it went to the like CAT scans. Let's go in a different direction. But there's things like bloating or frequent urination, pain during sex. There's there's lots of stuff where it could be endometriosis. It could right. just be, you know, so many other things. No one wants to leap from you have a stomach ache to you might have ovarian cancer. Yeah, and then take it. You have to get it removed. Did you get both removed as a precaution? At first, I just it, the, the the tumor was uh, like grapefruit size. It was on my right ovary. It was grapefruit size. Yeah. Wow. By that time. And I had had a normal exam in August from my gynecologist. And then in October is when this happened. As it was explained to me, it could have been very slow developing up until then. And then something, I don't know what happened, but something accelerated it between August and October. And suddenly wow. I'm having this thing happen. Yeah. So I had the surgery to remove the um, right ovary and the tumor. And there were also... Um, nodules and implants all throughout my abdominal cavity. Wait, I'm confused. You have a grapefruit size tumor and they're unclear whether that feels bizarre to me, uh, whether it's cancerous. I mean, it needs to be removed at that point, right? Like there wasn't yeah. well much of a question of. No, they okay. just don't know the pathology of it. They don't I see, know the I see. nature of it. Okay, it, could, okay. it could be, for example, a cyst or just a fibroid. Got it. Again, okay. it could be so many. Uh, benign things right. that are still disruptive sure. but not necessarily fatal potentially. I understand. For some reason yeah. in my conception I was like they're just like gonna take it out to try it out but without any kind of <laughs> indicator. No, but yeah. But a grapefruit is a pretty Well it did the, yes it was huge but like I said I had the regular gynecological exam right. and he f felt and nothing there was nothing there was no right. ultrasound because it was just a regular gynecological yeah. exam so it was just the digital exam yeah and they you know they press the ovaries up against i don't know if men know what this is but you know fingers go in ovaries are pressed up so that and then the hand is on the outside of the belly so they push the organs up against so that the doctor can feel the surface of those organs and if there's anything going on it's literally like like when you squeeze fruit in the grocery store, to, you yeah. know, it's a similar thing, but from inside and out at the same time. Yeah, so they can feel. Mm -hmm. So, fun. It's uh, <laughs> wild. <laughs> it's yeah. great. Um, so that was normal in August, and then this. So that was the transvaginal ultrasound is what showed there is a mass. The, then that's when I went to the, an oncologist who, that's when I started like, okay, only one reason you go to an oncologist, but I'm not going to, yeah, I don't know right. yet. And even he said, that's the first time I heard the word malignant, but it was possible malignant. Right. And we won't know until we look at it under a microscope. Okay. So I had surgery, exploratory surgery, and they took some stuff out. And then a week later, the zipper, eight-inch thing, opened me up, take things out. Did you? So you just took out the one ovary, or did they decide to do... Uh, no, they took, yes, they took out the right ovary and the tumor and then nodules that were all over like my liver, okay. bladder, other things that hadn't penetrated the tissues. So they took the nodules out and then part of my left ovary. Got it. So the, the left, the ovaries, <clears throat> excuse me, the ovaries are remarkable. I've learned so much. Yeah. <laughs> they're they are the size of an almond. Mm -hmm. uh, so this tiny little nut size thing is the source of life. Yeah. It's extraordinary. Yeah. And it can be fully functional with a cuticle's worth of tissue. Oh. You do not need a full ovary to uh, be fully functional in terms of your reproductive flow and hormonal whatever. Mm -hmm. um, so that's amazing. Yeah, it is amazing. So at 28 or 29, by the time the, the chemo had started, um, it was kind of like, okay, well, the questions of fertility came up. The questions of do I want children came up. Right. You know, so, you know, some surgeons were, you know, ah, take it all out. Hysterectomy. It's like, um, well, what does that mean? Right. Like, 
you're just saying take stuff out and you know what does that mean for a 29 year old when without reproductive organs what does that do to my life yeah besides baby stuff like what does that do to my body yeah and so it was interesting i my my main thrust was to hold on to a part of my ovary to sort of you know i was with the the boyfriend at the time that i thought i was going to be in in, you know forever with and the ambivalence around having children was suddenly like well like i think i do want to have children with this person you know not just to have one right um excuse me so all these questions around femininity were coming up, not yeah. just because of my ovaries, but then the chemo and losing hair and all these other physical things that were going to happen in my body that were yeah. like, everything you're told about what makes you beautiful and attractive and sexy and biologically a woman are going to change right. quite suddenly. Yeah. So now I'm facing questions around my femininity from a totally different uh, perspective. Yeah. And how do I feel about that? And then I was kind of, you know, like the idea of losing my hair, I was kind of like, I realized how attached I was to my hair. I'm not in a quote unquote girly way, but literally my trademark long, you know, like Joni Mitchell, yep. Janis Joplin long, hippie, hippie flower power hair. That's my trademark, hippie yeah. jazz chick. Right. That's, yeah, it that's becomes Sharon. a part of your identity. Yeah, it, so I was like, who, just as much as mine is a part of mine. Exactly. Mm-hmm. Who am I without my hair? Well, my boyfriend still think I'm pretty without my hair. Yep. All these questions immediately are rushing in. First, oh my gosh, I don't want to die. Then the second question is, yeah. you know, I'm going to lose my hair. Right. So I was also simultaneously mad or troubled by why am I so upset about losing my hair? You know, like the feminist in me was like, you know, ah, yeah. like, why is that upsetting me? So that was almost right, like this. Because it was a, like a theoretical thing. It doesn't seem like it would be that big of a deal. And like on the outset, you know, you could stand for something. But it is, it's precious. And it's something you've always had and known. And Yeah. Yeah. And it's so fleeting there Derek is gonna gonna go through this thing and it's just gonna be not on my head anymore yeah (laughs) oh my gosh what that is so uh my instinct was immediately to do something to change the dynamic around that loss quote-unquote loss because okay I'm going through this it's going to happen I'm gonna decide how I experience that yeah and and I was encouraged to cut my hair short first sure so I had a haircut house party. Oh, that's so great. <laughs> yeah. So I got a little pixie do, which was awesome. Um, which I was always, that was like terrifying. Yeah. If I ever, I only cut, you know, uh, split ends like yeah. my whole life. So the idea of having a short, you know, that was so bold and freaky to me. Oh, yeah. Oh, my I've God. always wanted a pixie cut, but I have this conception of women who can pull it off, which is like very thin and slender faces and like uh, just a particular bone it's structure. It's not true. I get that. Yeah, <laughs> absolutely. 100%, right? That my brain is like, you can only do that once you get to like <laughs> this weird ideal in yeah, my no. head. Yeah. And that was like one of the big revelations. Ultimately, my journey with ovarian cancer brought me so much more in connection with my femininity and my womanhood and what really, the what makes those things, you know, what they are yeah. for each person. Right. And I felt really strongly about doing something to connect, to help women, encourage women to connect to that sense of self and identity on our own terms. Like right. our bodies are going to change with age, with whatever. And why with these either temporary or permanent changes and shifts in our bodies are we being forced by societal notions of these things to question 
that wholeness at every step of our journey and every, and we're the the visual assault of you know these standards that are impossible which i already rebelled against yeah now had this whole other dimension of all right, all right i'm going to get inside that shit and change it up and right. expand the envelope that was sort of the the spark of these questions was like i want to change that cuz i don't think anyone should have to question their yeah. wholeness and beauty when they're trying to survive this kind of thing yeah absolutely that's an additional layer that's 100% not useful. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, so you have a hair cutting party and you 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 decide to make this your own journey, which is brave and challenging, I can yes. imagine, almost at every turn. Um, especially when you don't have, I feel like, a lot of um, resources already of people or, or just images or whatever like you were talking about with yeah. your website to look at to be like oh there's other people who yeah, oh I'll look like that girl in the magazine yeah. or I'll, you know you get the G.I. Jane you get the Sinead O'Connors right. which are you know they're badasses so no yeah. problem um, or yeah, Alien Sigourney Weaver and Alien you know, yeah. I love it all I love it all right um, but Samantha and Sex in the City yeah well that came much later that was oh that was I later. was actually in that the episode where she takes her wig off you were we, you know what's we funny we talk about that yes <laughs> I was watch. I was re-watching the show and I remember seeing you and um oh yes you were so I cool. helped them cast that those are oh. most of the women taking off their wigs are real cancer patients amazing yeah that's an incredible scene in yes of itself. It was, it's a scene where Samantha has gone through uh she's in, she's gone through chemo yeah and she's wearing her wig and she's going through menopause because of the treatment mm -hmm. and she's wearing this wig and she's speaking at this gala and the wig is really hot and itchy and uncomfortable and she's having hot flash and she's created this speech yeah. that like really has no depth and isn't yeah. actually talking about the issues or it's not really, personal it's not personal no. yeah it's not vulnerable or anything like that and so then at one point she, and she's dripping you know all over her couture <laughs> yeah as she puts it and she takes her wig off like oh to hell with it she takes her wig off and then and then she's just drenched in sweat and then these other women start standing up and like oh yeah i can take my wig yeah. off too. so that's one of the my first there was a a background a featured background role but that was one of the first uh things that i did as an actor was the uh, two sex in the city episodes actually oh, how funny. Uh, one was i was not wearing a wig but this other one was very special obviously yeah. very personal and beautiful and th the women i brought had not done. actually ever gone out in public without really wigs on oh i just got chill so most of them and then we have this i have to find it and send it to you we have a beautiful group picture of all the women with kim uh, cattrall with their wigs off and uh, sadly, yes, well, a lot of those women actually are no longer with us. But yeah. they had this moment now associated with their illness. That's part of the Bald is Beautiful thing, too. It create these positive events that now you have a, an association with cancer that isn't doom and gloom and right. knocking on heaven's door. It's like, oh, my God, I'm I'm on Sex in the City. I'm hanging out with Kim Control. So it's like yeah. suddenly it, it infuses the cancer experience with something positive and joyful that you can look back and like have as a positive experience and, instead of just everything being so much about illness and death but knocking at your door kind of yeah. thing. Yeah. Yeah. So I'd just love to go back a little bit mm -hmm. to um, sort of the journey of how you got to like Bald is Beautiful. Um, so, so you find out you, you have the surgery you cut your hair and then you start going through. Well, I, st I started chemo. I had made an appointment with the okay. someone to cut my hair short like okay. a few days after. I didn't Got know it. anything about chemo. So I didn't realize by day two or three I'd be in agony and not able to go anywhere. Got it. So my sister drove to the salon to 
tell, tell the hairstylist that uh, she's this woman named Michelle. She's French. Uh, mm-hmm. Michelle, she's been cutting my hair since I was uh, five years old because <laughs> she's at the salon where my mom has been going for her decades. Uh, so she's always wanted to give me this uh, <laughs> French, this chic look. Oh, but I say, tr- tr- uh, split ends only, no. <laughs> and so, so I, you know, she goes and she tells Michelle, my sister Elisa goes to tell Michelle, uh, it was heavy you know I was like uh Sharon can't come today she's going through chemo and she needs you to cut her hair yeah and so Michelle was just like okay so I come to you I got a hair at the house you know so that's why I call it a haircut house call because she came and she her mother was in town she was about to leave for Paris the two days later Mm -hmm. she came on a Tuesday cut my hair in the living room of my parents house that looks out onto the bay so it's beautiful and we took pictures of the whole thing. And it was like, oh. just became this whole joyful, beautiful, loving event. I always get emotional when I think about it because it's just so beautiful, this gift she gave and the pictures. Yeah. And again, these are all little seeds that were planted about like what I want to give to other people to move through their experience that way of like, yeah. you can do this too. Because yeah. the pictures are so joyful. So even though, even if the emotion sometimes there was, it was a roller coaster. I was crying and laughing and smiling and then yeah. looking at my hair in the mirror and like, oh my God, I can do this and toss on my hair and there's no tangles. Yeah. Whoa. You right. know? But also tears, you know? And yeah. so, but the pictures are so joyful. So then I'm like, oh, so I can actually create a, a sort of a, mental muscle memory that is fun and upbeat and positive and I I know it sounds maybe kind of new aging weird but it's sort of you know there's positive neurolinguistics there's there's science to positive peptides and and, you know those kinds of things Mm -hmm. and so I think if we inform ourselves to be ourselves to be positive and loving and self-loving those cells are the ones that are going to multiply. Yeah. And, you know. There's huge research on that. Yeah. I mean, if you, yeah, with cancer patients who think that it's going to go badly, it's going to go. Sometimes it does. Sometimes yeah. it doesn't. I don't know if it's directly causal, yeah. but it's sort of like the way I see it is even if I know I'm going to die, I'm the one who's going to decide how I walk down that path and out that door. Yeah. And, you know, that's it's sort of like a pseudo Buddhist idea of like suffering is a choice. Pain is inevitable. Suffering yeah. is a choice. Yeah. So I'm going to I'm in control of how I experience this stuff regardless. And it's also not to deny pain and suffering, uh, suffering, objectively speaking, in, the, in terms of that word. But because all of those feelings are real, it's like honoring the full experience is just not attaching your experience or identity with the negative stuff. Yeah. It's like, OK, yeah, I yeah. am feeling pain right now. I'm feeling sad right now. Even that language of saying this is what I'm feeling right now. Mm-hmm. It doesn't lock you in to right. that's the d- defining me or this experience. Absolutely. You know what I mean? Yeah. I even there was a and commercial I did. acknowledging it, I think, is like another part of it where if you just ignore those negative feelings, that's not useful either because then no, they, they don't, don't go away. Yeah, they don't go away. So no. when you acknowledge it and you say, yeah, this isn't a part of me, I can feel this right now and then I can move yeah, through it. Yeah, I move else. through it. And that's why I like saying, you know, living with cancer, moving through cancer. Mm-hmm. A lot of people have issues with language and terminology around like I hate the word journey and it's like but but it is a journey it's a fucked up journey but it's it's a path it's an experience it is all those things so if languaging it in a different way helps to to mentally kind of put a different context to it you know that's just another tool to use you know absolutely and getting through it yeah Mm -hmm. and if it anchors you into something different or like yeah if it works for you it was sort of like even for chemo I had I was 
exploring things of visualization exercises and stuff to do in meditation all new stuff to me by the way i never did any of that shit before yoga meditation and like this is all new i did the everything in the kitchen sink trying it doing it right and the first visualization i had was it was carboplatin and taxol were the two chemicals so it was like captain carboplatin and the (laughs) taxol tanks you know it's like they're gonna come in and obliterate the cancer (laughs) but i was like that energy is so it's like aggressive and angry yeah and i don't want that energy inside my body right so i was like okay let me think of a different one and then i decided you know what i'm a nerd (laughs) i go to school i take classes i take the hard classes so cancer is my teacher a bitch but I'm going to learn a lot. Mm-hmm. So I decided to go the other route, and it's Indiana Jones. He's an archaeologist. The doctor's going to go in there. They're going to excavate these tumors and all this stuff, and they're going to take it to another place, and they're going to study it. What can we learn from this mm-hmm. material? You know, How can we improve the situation? You know, So that was much more to me, plus you know, Harrison Ford running around my belly. <laughs> Not so bad. <laughs> Not so bad. <laughs> so I just, all these, instinctively, I was doing these kinds of things, and I thought, I read people's stories and sh- them sharing things about how they got through something. So I was like, well, I feel like I want to share some of these ideas with other people. Just know that there's alternatives to how you can move through these different aspects yeah. that are portrayed in the media, even even TV and film, as the most terrifying, devastating, even the literature I got from the hospital. Hair loss is often considered the most devastating aspect of the cancer chemotherapy experience. I was like, oh, my God. They're, yeah. they're giving me these words. Yeah. They're handing me, handing you're going you to be devastated. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Thanks, guys. Yeah. So I was just like, I need to do something to change that. When I finish the cancer thing, I want to add some new language, some new images, some yeah. new concepts of how to experience it. So after you you moved through through that, what was then, did you feel like you had a different relationship to your body, to your femininity. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I mean, one of the first things that happened, too, was, and I, this is going to, again, sound a little new age. I worked with a medical intuitive, mm-hmm. loved the work I did with her. She's based in Montana. And one of the first things she said to me, she didn't know me, so the first thing she said is, okay, okay, you need to stop wearing black. And I was like, say what? Because, <laughs> like, oh, everything down me. to my skivvies <laughs> is black. <laughs> um and she said, okay, just, just start with like one thing at a time. Don't get stressed about, you know, and I don't, didn't have money too. So I was like, I'm not getting a whole new wardrobe. And right. I hate shopping. Yeah. So on top of it. So I was like, just everything. Everything When she said that, I was like, ah, terrifying. So More terrifying than chemo. Oh my God. Shopping and clothing. <laughs> no. Um, and oh my God, pink. Um, so I did start and my sister, again, she became, that's when she was officially inducted as my, what we call the sacred stylist. Okay. <laughs> and she, the first thing she did was gifted me this long, uh, red vintage leather trench coat. Amazing. That was one of those items that we'd look at and say, Elisa, mm-hmm. not Sharon, <laughs> but she put it on me over my black tank top and jeans. Yeah. <laughs> and it's like, okay, this is yours now. And I was like, mm, okay, all right. And then slowly, one item at a time, she started, She would, we would get things that were more body conscious clothing and introducing color and even pastels. What? Yeah. <laughs> that were like, okay. And I was doing a lot of journaling too through the medical intuitive. A lot of the, um, a lot of the journaling and the exercises was having conversations with my ovaries. Yeah. Saying, right. I wrote a letter to say goodbye to my left ovary when we uh, ultimately had yeah. to decide that she was going to go too. Um, but really connecting to a different part of how I viewed those things and like being empowered that I can wear 
whatever kinds of stuff I want, whatever colors I want, I'm, it doesn't change who I am. I'm not betraying some sense of tomboyness or yeah. earthiness or, mm-hmm. you know, so. And, and the medical intuitive, did you ever identify, because it's very interesting that this idea of clothing, I feel like, is so wrapped up in sort of your yeah. like how you identify and so was there she obviously picked up on that well for her it was the color but for right the color and let me explain with the black yeah. the black energetically black holds energy mm. it contains it and for cancer uh experience or any health stuff really uh you according to how her philosophy yeah um, energy needs to be able to flow in and out okay so with uh, the, the color black it's it's the culmination of all colors in one yeah right so it holds energy so it needs to be more an open channel so that was really based on the energy of the color black and it holding energy yeah. not necessarily based on like what kinds of clothes or shapes to wear no no no. I understand yeah. I just think oh, that, I just wanted to explain I, that for totally listeners. I think it's just an interesting <laughs> thing that keeps coming up and like yeah. even just with your choice of color and yeah. not you know and that she picked up on that and that yes. that then came up again and like was yes. a different shift it's just so fascinating it was i, I yeah. ended up working with her for like 10 years oh you know, wow and just amazing work that i got to do and just on myself and looking inside and doing a lot of healing stuff yeah that you know excuse me had nothing to do with uh the physical that's what medical intuitives do they look at what's happening energetically and spiritually that's right. manifesting in this physical way and so what are yes. the uh, root spiritual causes or energetic roots so we delve deep into that so that's some of the favorite stuff that i got to do with yeah. and for myself through and this. did you feel like through that process of like communicating and writing to the ovary that was was leaving your body or the partial because you the partial of your yeah I had had I had the surgery and then I had the chemo and then it came back during chemo so then I had another surgery again still like can you just do a cystectomy can you just take part of it out? yeah you know and then uh was remission for a year again and then the final surgery was where my surgeon was kind of like all right you know I think <laughs> it keeps coming back, so uh-huh. you're going to have to let her go. Got it. And so that's when it was like, okay, so th- now what does that mean for me? I still have my uterus, and I'm on hormone replacement. Okay. So um, still got my cycle, but it's mechanical. <laughs> um, but, yeah, I I definitely – and then also at a certain point, my boyfriend and I at the time broke up too, so then my – the whole question again about having children, children. again changed once again to right. being more ambivalent because I don't feel I never felt this biological imperative to have children no matter what yeah. I don't want to be a single mom I don't and not abash at all on people yeah. doing that I just didn't feel the imperative to do that regardless of what my situation was yeah I wanted to you know have a family and, and husband and have a family unit in that particular iteration right it so that sort of changed that question back yeah. again you know and so with both gone this is a silly question but um because you weren't producing eggs, um, can you still have a like if they implanted like technically? I, okay. I still got the oven. I can bake okay. the cake. Got it. <laughs> if I wanted to, I mean, I'm a little further on the age spectrum now, yeah. and I'm also again, I'm not in a, I'm not married or right, in a, right, right. So I maybe I would adopt. Maybe if I, I. It's sort of it's never been a priority for me. So yeah. this it, it it suddenly became one for a little bit when it was like the ability to just to have kids the old fashioned way was suddenly gonna be removed from my body. Yeah. I was like, Oh, maybe I do wanna do that. Um I, yeah, the the one last question I have about this is like I think I didn't quite follow up was when you were having these conversations and, and now that both of them are gone, mm-hmm. um, 
did you though feel we just had a this woman on named Whitney Ullum, which I don't know if you know her, but uh, she's like a women's sexuality coach. And she was talking about like how we don't talk to our, uh, you know, like our pelvis or our vagina, right. our ovaries, uh-huh. our uterus. And that like there's this amazing thing about like grounding that energy and that there's so much power in like sexuality like women's Mm -hmm. sexuality to manifest a variety of different things and so the idea of talking to these parts of you in a hole that we're leaving that are still there did that ground you in something new and did that feel different I guess moving forward um in terms of that in terms of sexuality or just... In terms of everything, I guess, I feel like just inviting those conversations which were new that was prompted because of having cancer, but also, like, did that feel grounded in... Like, do you feel grounded in your body in a different way or... Yeah, I mean, yeah. I definitely came to a, a new embrace of my physical form because I, it started with the outside, started with the hair, yeah. you know, well, it started technically with the inside with removing the first ovary and all those other questions but definitely every step of the way was a new question around how my body is changing and, and what that what that means for me and what do hormones do and what does menstruation do and all these like real for me again the nerd in me was like fascinating with like really getting into a much deeper uh, field of knowledge and understanding about yeah. how these things work right and the wonder of it i mean women are bad ass <laughs> we are there's yeah. so much going on in our bellies yeah <laughs> it's just beyond um so having a new it's a, it's a weird way to say it but like a new respect and one sense of wonder for the for the female mm-hmm. form and biology and then also went through it's like uh, I'm still a thin woman but like even going through hormone replacement stuff there was a fa- there was a thing where I, I like I started to gain weight like 10 12 pounds which when you're thin yeah that you can feel the difference you're close to you know so then I was sensitive around that and so even still sometimes grapple with like you know just body image stuff that are like I'm just super tuned into it yeah because i'm like is that happening because i'm you know older and on hormone replacement like what's happening with my body kind of stuff yeah and and even sex drive and other things that change you know over time that are like is this okay am i okay with this or yeah i guess i am and then sometimes like no i'm not (laughs) right right so it's it still kind of floats around there in different ways but i definitely um feel the core is much more self-acceptance and self-love mm-hmm. than it was. I mean, that was like a life journey just from the childhood that I grew up, you know, yeah. the, the elements that I grew up with that made me question my worth to begin with. Yeah. So this sort of just, you know, shoved me in the direction of, you know, accept yourself, Jared. Yeah. Love yourself. I love that. So it's definitely a, a grounded self-love, even in this insecurity or doubts. It's I'm still grounded in a, a, a knowing myself in a way that I didn't even imagine or couldn't understand was a way to be with oneself. Sure. Yeah. You're wonderful. Thank you for coming Aww, you on. Too. Um, so if people want to check out the website, it's baldisbeautiful.org. Yes. Um, and uh, there they can find inspiring photos, photos stories about the journey itself Mm -hmm. and you can write to me i I answer emails from everyone i get emails from people all over the globe which is amazing when i put it out there that was kind of when i started getting emails from like italy and spain i'm like whoa that's the world wide web that's what that is yeah um and i always and i get emails from caregivers too i always want to give a shout out to caregivers they need just as much support 
um, everyone's on the ride. Yeah. You know, we're all tied together in that crazy, yeah. twisty, long and winding road of cancer and caregivers really need a lot of support and care too. So I get emails from both sides of those Amazing. things and I always answer everybody. Awesome. Personally. And then if they want to find you on social media, they can. They can. Instagram is bald.is.beautiful. Mm-hmm. And I have a Facebook bald is beautiful group or blog. So, and that's just the Facebook bald is beautiful blog. They can cool. find me that way. Okay. I'm on Twitter too, actually. I don't use it that much. It's at Sharon Blinn. And, yeah. You know. <laughs> and then make sure to watch Captain Marvel. Captain Marvel, Soren, uh, yeah. Taylor's wife, Ben Mendelsohn. What? She's a fucking <laughs> badass and um, so much more to come. But thank you for being here. You're such a joy and a treat. Thank you for having me. <laughs> it's nice to see you both. Yeah. Oh, I feel inspired. <laughs> Me too. <laughs> Sharon, I just love you. Thank you for being here. Thank you all for going on this journey with us. I hope you you took away a nugget of inspiration and joy. Yeah, and thank you for going on Captain Marvel because I like Marvel movies. And oh, so yeah, seriously. Was, yeah, I mean, we saw like some behind-the-scenes pictures, and she looks fucking awesome. Yeah. So please go. Please go watch the film. Yeah. Um, yeah. And as always, please follow us on at Finding My Yum Podcast on both Instagram and Facebook. It really helps us out on whatever you're listening to the podcast on to subscribe, rate us, review us, um, share it with your friends. And, and if you're interested in being a guest, yes. reach out to us through, I mean, Instagram is a great channel. Yep. Um, you can reach out to us uh, on the email account, findingmyyum at gmail.com. Yes, please. Yeah. yeah we're always looking for um, new people. Uh, yeah. Tune in next week. Bye. Bye.